0: Hello and welcome to a podcast recording in reflection on what's happened over the past fortnight since the, the murder of George Floyd in Minnesota. So basically, the talk is gonna be between uh, three friends, Dr. Russell Robinson, uh, one of our engagement influencers uh, living out of Washington DC, my, my colleague, Stefan Warburton, uh, who work, lives and lives and works in London, and myself uh and we're really trying to focus on all of this change and how it's impacting them uh myself and, and society on the whole so hello russell and hello hello Stefan.
1: thank you Matt. hey how you doing matt how you doing Stephen? excited to be here excited to chat
0: definitely so i suppose the goal of the conversation is to share how these events have impacted impacted us in in the different ways our own personal feelings and uh and and talk about you know what's next so you know who, who wants to lead off how's how's it impacted impacted you um i can start
2: seeing this event started from two weeks ago i think it came onto everyone's radar through the uh the graphic video that was posted on social media i think what hit people the most was just the blasé attitude of of the policeman with his hands in his pockets looking away as if it was like a regular procedure I think that pinpointed something endemically wrong in, I think, how the police system works in America. We had Omar Aubrey, which was another case, you know, and I think all of these different events culminated to this one video, which I think just really exposed that there was a, a big problem that was on the surface. I mean, we knew it existed, but I think that video really seriously brought it to light. And I feel like this is an issue that, you know, as a Black person living in London, you know, Russell, you and your experience in America, I feel like this is something that we experience almost to the point of normalization. I can't speak about the African American experience, but right? I know it's very different in London. Similar in certain instances, but different in terms of severity, I believe. I think people in the world are starting to wake, wake up about you know, this big problem that we have, especially in the Western society with race and how we've handled
1: it. Stefan, those are some excellent thoughts and words. I think when you combine Armad Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, who, by the way, yes, the, the officers still have not been charged at this point. Amy Cooper, the lady who called the police on, uh, on the burglar in Central Park and kind of heightened it to, he's going to, he's threatening me, he's attacking me, which was a blatant display of privilege. And then you you add this kind of heightened sense of lack of normalcy of COVID-19, where I think, Matt, you and I talked, and you had called COVID-19 the great equalizer. But here in the States, what the data is saying is it disproportionately, is being, uh, and have death impacts on on people of color. That was a lot, and normally, and I guess it kind of affirms what Stefan says, there's a sense of normalcy to me for it. I mean, I'm, I'm 50 years old, so the list of black names is, you know, it's gotta be close to 30 in the past five years, but you go back to to Rodney King, other riots, it's the first time I had ever been to a place where I was just, I needed to get off the grid for a couple of days and figure out exactly what was mm-hmm. going on. But then I was shocked by, I'm blown away by the response, the protests in regards to the, the number of them, the volume of them, and the international flavor. And, and I talked yeah. to my mother, my mother who grew up in the 60s, and she's like, this is not like the 60s. If, if we had the diversity or the world uh, impact so it's it's the first time I've really just been off and i've got i've got I've got three adult kids, so a lot of this I see through the police brutality, you know I' got a little gray here in the beard, but I get profiled. I'm not as worried as, as something crazy happening. I've got young boys you know 26 and 20 so a lot of what I see is seeing it through their eyes, if they're the victims, or, or someone like, yeah. you know, a, a, younger, a younger person of color. Matt, what do you, what was your take?
0: I suppose the difference between the instant reaction and what I'm feeling now, I guess, and um, you know, this is not, it's not a, this is not a political thing. This is a human, human race thing that, we're, you know, it's down to your core, we're all equal and we we know that there's been racism and treatment of different different treatments of people because of that for since i suppose we're put on the planet but i guess the difference was this might sound silly but one of my favorite tv shows ever is the west wing brilliant we kind of hope hope that we get back to that kind of altruistic way of the way of the world um and at the begin the in the first season they try and they think they're trying to assassinate the president but they're actually trying this it's these right wing people trying to assassinate his um his colleague charlie who's who's a black man and then in the aftermath of the assassination all the the white west wing are acting differently and are getting quite upset and angry uh and they just turn around and say we witnessed a lynching um they were trying to, they were trying to lynch charlie and i think the world witnessed the lynching when they couldn't they had no other distractions than what they saw with with george floyd and it's one of the most disgusting things you're ever going to watch you know I, I went through I went through anger that the, you know this could happen um, I've always been a keen student of history you know the Civil War in 1863, 1861 to sixty five and then civil rights a hundred years later you think what happened between those hundred years and now we're here, we are where we are now, and I just hope it's a time where people. I think people realize they can't not just be a good person. They have to st- st- stand up, speak out, call out what is fundamentally wrong. Very much out of my comfort zone talking like this, but it's what has to happen now. And I, I really um, appreciate you and Stefan allowing me to be part of the conversation. Um, so yeah, that, that's where I'm at. Just lost the words, angry, <laughs> mm-hmm. all, all of that, really.
1: So let me ask you a question, both you and Stefan. Especially being on the other side of the, of the Atlantic than I, why is George Floyd had a, such a different impact to you, to you and globally? Um, I think the key thing I think the video,
2: the graphic nature of the video, I believe, you know, really pinpoints sort of the brutality and sort of the, and I think I, I heart back to sort of the blase nature mm-hmm. of the policeman and people sort of thinking is this sort of just like the regular, you know, running the day business for a police officer yeah. in America. Um, also well, a couple
0: I, I of- going to say, to the
2: so going to say, couple of, you know, the impact of coronavirus. I feel like, and also with the sort of impending financial instability of, you know, of America and the West, I feel like tensions are running at, at an all time high. In, I think in a world where people feel that they're being harshly treated, persecuted, I think that video is sort of like, like the catalyst to what people are
0: feeling globally. You know, I yeah, no, I I agree with you that Stefan, especially with the blase nature, it's like you know, nothing's going to happen to me. I've got every right to be doing this to another human being. It's just, um, just frightening. Um. I think a couple of things that come to mind for me uh, on the impact of it globally, uh, firstly because we have no distractions, we're all at home the, on the most part, locked down, so therefore we've got our full attention, um, whereas life takes over usually and it's very easy to forget or uh, ignore the, the bad things going on in the world and I think that's much harder to do right now. and. And Russell you sent me a video from Trevor Noah who is an awesome guy obviously very well aware of uh, problems from race come, coming from Johannesburg and Soweto am now living in America he talks about the the pact we all make to live in a society and once want, once you know if, if one part one party isn't living up to that part of the pact um, why why do they need why does the other party need to Abide by it, and I think that's where you saw the protesting and also the explosion of, of of riots at the beginning. But I think from a global point of view, we all we've all taken on the pact that we'll we'll stay locked down because we want to try and save our fellow man and woman, and we will try and stop the spread of the disease. And whilst we're sat at home trying trying to do the right thing as part of the global society, we just see this lynching, uh, this blasé murder. And we're going. Well, this is not the society I've signed up for. This is this is not what I want to live in. And I think it's just created this a huge emotional emotional explosion. That is enough. Is enough. Um, and and that yeah, that's that's why I think it's had an impact like it's had. Um, we don't we don't we're not signing up for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's where my head's at.
1: I think I think if George Floyd had been shot. would have had Mm. an impact yeah because when we've seen when when we've seen these instances before and someone's been shot the natural default of the officer is for whatever reason he was resisting arrest he may be high i was in fear for my life and if it goes to trial it's always based on you have to step into the shoes of the officer that they feared for his for his his or her life. And it's like Stefan said, this is like a long drawn out tragedy where you're you're literally watching a guy in slow motion die in front of you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the officer is so blase and nonchalant and the people filming Mm -hmm. are are aware of what's going on. And uh, I was talking to a few of my friends and it's like, what would you do? Like, if you were there. And, you know, I think for myself, like, wow, whenever I've seen a recording of something, it's like, okay, the person's recording. But at one point, it's like, yo, somebody's got to go, somebody's got to go in there and tackle this police officer to get him off, off this guy's neck. But then you also realize that you could die in that situation because now you're yeah. rushing a police officer. So, and I think that, be, the type of video is hard to watch. It makes it hard to watch. And Matt, you just had an excellent point. It's almost like Corona has set the stage for it. Okay. There's nothing else really going on in the world. <laughs> People are still in work from home status mostly, or, or businesses are shut down. So there is now time to march during the day, to protest during the day. And it's it's just an interesting. Concept of of, I've I've always seen COVID nineteen having a certain relation to it, but not really. Well, maybe it kind of sets the scene for this. You know, it gets everybody in a mood where they can see the video because it was a video. It just changed the whole dynamic. I mean, I thought the mod was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yeah. That was
0: uh, that
1: was a that was a modern day hunting. Yeah. I, I was in my early 20s when rodney king happened and that video was just like mind-blowing because you'd heard the stories hear stories and it was the officer's work of what happened and rodney king was first mm-hmm. time, like no we're actually seeing the video of this so to see kind of the progression as a society 30 years later is is, is interesting to see
0: and i think Stefan raised a really interesting point yesterday around accountability you know if if the the best the best way of rooting this stuff out it, within the police and we'll maybe talk about the wider systemic stuff in a second but is actually that this this police officer was sent to jail for a long time you know if that happens and keeps happening then this this will soon stop um, if there's accountability um, maybe. because uh, you know, Rodney King, they got acquitted. That's when the riots happened. People people think, you know, that the riots happened when the video came out. Is when the police officers were acquitted that they, it all kicked off. Um, so, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, I
2: mean, that's <laughs> the I feel, especially growing up and seeing racism, it's a bit unfortunate, but I feel like we, we sort of expect it as like a, Mm. Like a a normal thing, you know, oh, people are going to be racist. We hope that, you know, society and structures have accountable measures to combat it. So, you can't police or monitor what you feel, so I might interact with a racist, but laws and structures in government protect me, you know, or people of colour, even if somebody harbours bad will or resentment against me. yeah, And I think that sort of unabashed, you know, racist act coming from, you know, what are supposed to be,
0: you know, the people for justice. I suppose this is the question. Do, do we think racists are born or do, do, do we think hatred is taught? Do we think it is taught? Um, or do, do we think it can just be some some of it's genetic because I know Nelson Mandela famously once said that you know your children are born to love and then you know taught to hate
2: it's funny it's funny because me and my dad we've talked about race and it's funny growing up we've had like arguments I remember one particular argument when my dad was having an altercation with somebody you know another white person and he was just saying, oh, this person was racist. And I was just saying, you know, maybe he's just being a, an arsehole. Maybe it's nothing to do with race. Yeah, and I think yeah. he told me, he goes, you know, not, you won't understand this now, Stefan, but when you get older, you can't afford not to assume it. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that exists in our society, yeah. racism. and." We never know whether someone's racist or not, you know, whether an act is just a person being disagreeable, being racist. But we always have to have that in our minds. I think that's even more insidious than, you know, I mean, we talk about racism on different levels. Actions of racism are big, but even just going through your mind and walking around and dealing with people, you always have to think about is this person racist? Does this person have ill will against me? And then you start changing how you are. Trying to control the situation as much
1: as you can. So, to answer your question, Matt, I think racism is taught. I think biases are a little bit more inherent.
0: Right.
1: And you can have biases and align those to prejudices Mm -hmm. and not be racist. As I get older, I start to realize, you know, I look at at America, you know, the, the country on. <laughs> taken on stolen land and built by free labor, um, yeah. <laughs> that at its core was built on the melting pot. so when you bring these different races or classes and even even race is a social construct, together and they 're looking at things through their biases, I think that 's natural. Once you realize you have that bias, how you address that is different. So for example, uh, growing up in DC, the predominant predominant Hispanic interaction is with Salvadorans and Guatemalans. That's a lot of what I saw growing up. In a previous life for this engagement world, I was a certified public accountant. And in my mid-20s, I worked for a government contractor which was great because I had never been anywhere and I got to, I spent six months on the road. So I got to see the country on the company dime. And I remember I was in LA and I encountered Mexicans for the first time. And truth be told, all I knew about Mexicans was what was in the media or, or Sanford and Son because Julio Fuentes lived next door. So whatever Fred Samper's view of Mexicans was, was Mexican. And then the lady I was working with was Mexican. And at some point you had to to realize, you know what? She's not what, like I've seen, you know, that's, I need to check my bias. Mm -hmm. If I, and that bias is natural. If I choose to feed into that even further and say, in spite of my experience with her, I think all Mexicans are bad. Now that's creeped into racism. You can never doubt the humanity. And and I remember on that job, I uh we got a job with a government agency, and the person who ran that agency was a uh, good old boy. I mean, white dude. I mean, I was I was in my 20s, he was probably my age now. Russell, I'm just a good old boy from Georgia, I'm a redneck, not not in the way you see it, so on and so forth. And all the whole time I'm like, who is this guy? And every time I saw him, hey, how's your company treating you? Are they treating you right? And I kind of blew him off. Yeah, right. This went on for months. And then they invited my, our firm to their company Christmas party. And I was talking to his administrative assistant who was black. And finally I was like, what is up with this racist dude? And she's like, racist? We've been waiting for you to figure it out. He's the reason why you got hired. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was like, when your the firm that I worked for was based in New York. And he, he pulled, when your he's like, when your firm got the contract, He pulled the partners aside that said, you're doing business in D.C. You got to have some black faces. You got to diversify. And she was like, when they hired you, they were running into him like, yeah, we we hired this black guy, so on and so forth. And the reason why he kept always asked you what you were doing was because he told them he wanted you doing real work. He didn't want you to be some window dressing. He's the biggest supporter of blacks in this agency. And I said, but he talks this Georgia good old boy stuff. And she's like, yeah, he's a good old boy. He's a good old boy who marched with King. And I was like, wow. You know, I um, took the time to explore that humanity. So you can't, you can't assume everybody is racist. Be able to get back to that, that, that humanity and actually saying, I may have this bias. Maybe I need to check this bias.
0: Yeah, well, my 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 father actually—I um, never call him my father, my dad. He said something to me when I was a kid, and it really it stuck with me the rest of my life, actually. Uh, and he said, because you're obviously influenced by your parents in a big way, uh, and he didn't—he he didn't like somebody. So I said, "Oh, why don't you like him?" And I just remember him saying. So in your whole life, treat people as you as they treat you and only and make the judgments upon how they treat you not how they treat other people so almost in the sense that don't don't have any predisposed ideas about anybody until you've had an interaction with them and that that's that served me really well i i you know i just so i've never had any predisposed opinions of anybody because of sex color whatever um yeah, but like Estevan says, if they're an asshole, they're an asshole. Um, <laughs> yeah, um,
1: they'll they'll prove it at some point.
0: Yeah, and they'll prove it at some point. Uh, and obviously, if I stand up and if bit, if somebody's a racist and being racist, if they're nice to me, but they're still being a racist to somebody else, obviously can stand up and get in the way of that. But it was just that don't ever have any preconceived notion of anybody until you've had your own interaction with them. Um, and I suppose what one thing I wanted to ask you, just based upon what you were saying, Russell, is this could sound. You know, w- there's no hope. Um, but obviously, the protests around the world have shown this hope. And you know, I think the good people outweigh the bad. Or I like to believe so. Um, what what could business? What can workplaces do? Um, just listening to what you you're talking about, then it it, it should it, there be like an upfront piece when anybody joins an organisation? Say, look, you've, you're parking your bias at the, your bias is at the door. We need we need we actually want we're going to say that to you right now. Our workplace believes in these this is this that these are our, our values this is our purpose you're joining to work on on that basis and as an organization we're all here to, to work to that purpose and those values park all your biases at the door and if you feel like you're having trouble come and talk to us I'm just trying to work out what we can do because i don't think every organization needs to be ripped up some might do some police departments might need to some some places do but what can we do as a as a people, as a, as a community, to to improve this?
1: Well, I think, and Matt, you've heard me say this before, I think it goes back to values. It goes back to what are the values of our organization. And if it actually heightens saying that we're not going to be racist in, in stating that. Um, yeah, actually, just stating just calling out, stating, yeah, stating, moving it right up front. And I wouldn't say biases because I got unconscious biases. Okay, mm. saying that we're not going to be racist up front, bringing it into the hiring process. And what that means is there are jobs and companies where you have to take some form of personality test. Take, make employees take that test.
0: So, as a as a white man, as a white business owner, if I was stated we we you know as an organisation we're not racist, I I would the first thing that came into my head. So this this is that these are the times now we need to be honest. The first thing that comes into my head if I say I'm not something, people will think I am it. So yeah, Why? Say we're
1: yeah. not. <laughs> why are you stating it?
0: <laughs> um, oh, they, they must be. They must have had a racist problem within their organisation at one time. You know, But, but, but maybe this is the, these are the things that we still have to do and push through that because it hasn't worked for, until now. <laughs> so
1: yeah, but, but, but Matt, here's the reason why it hasn't worked. It hasn't been overtly addressed in some mm. part of the hiring or the performance plan for hiring and promoting and training. Now you've got this defund the police movement, which I really don't know what it is. And it's like, yeah. I like police. I want police. Yeah. I want to be protected by police. I want to know when I'm interacting or my friends and family are interacting, they're not dealing with bad or racist cops. And if they are, there has to be a quick way to identify them and one, not get them into the force, but then two, get them out of the force. So yeah. in the workplace, there has to be a way to, you can look for super what you can do is, and you're right, you can't overtly say, we're not racist, because people are thinking, well, you must have had something going in your past. But yeah. the things you can do to enhance the level of humanity and emotional intelligence and empathy that you're going to identify in your employees. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. But I, I, I quite like the idea of just stating, like, well, maybe we're, we're anti-racist, you know? because I think it needs to now be said. I think what's more probably more effective
2: is positive action. Yeah. Which you know, shows you're not racist, you know. In this case, I think actions definitely speak louder than words. So whether it is you, you know, have a diverse executive team, or you work with organizations, you know, that help black and People of colour organisations, I feel that speaks volumes more than just a statement. And yeah. I've seen it from organisations in light of the past two weeks, you know, I find it funny, I'm trolling through Twitter and I'm seeing all of these organisations make these PR stands about anti-racism, yeah. with some you quote tweeting them mentioning a racist incident that happened with them in that organisation. The irony is people are speaking, but I feel like actions
0: I 100% agree with you, which is why I think it's really important that we try and keep these conversations and, and, and broaden them out. Because my brother comes from the uh, the gay community, and you go to New York during Pride Month, and every single shop in New York is covered with the rainbow colours. And he just mm-hmm. says, "This is just not. This is not uh, authentic. This isn't. These aren't. These aren't organisations that are actually supportive of the LGBT." Sorry, Q community, um, they're just doing it because they feel like they have to or they think it's good for business. Um, so we don't, yeah, you
1: know, like so I, I agree with you, Stephen, actions have to speak louder than words. And... So then, is it more a matter of saying internally as a workforce, you know, when, when you're onboarding, when you're bringing people on, we do not tolerate racism. You know, we, we have a zero tolerance policy. And I think setting the stage is interesting because over the past couple of years, we've had the Me Too movement. And and my sister's sister's a lawyer. And I argue with her. And I was like, you know, as a voice researcher, what the Me Too movement is highlighting is a lot of organizations and companies knew there were sexual harassment issues, but they were protecting the, the predator, in a sense. So maybe it's something more where we're saying, here's our policy on racism. And also that diversity and inclusion person, that's not a check the box person or a check the box function. Mm. Uh, and that goes further. Does that, does that position report to HR? Does that position report directly to the CEO? That goes a little bit further down the weeds of, of how, how impactful HR is.
0: Exactly. And true, true accountability. You know, look, just look at the Roger Ailes piece. They're saying this, the anonymous line to report, you know, sexual abuse or, or anything wrong at work goes basically a hotline to the CEO, and then you lose your job. And if you look at the compensation paid out, um, Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly got more money than all the women who were subject to sexual harassment and and abuse put together. Uh, So what's that say about that organization that the two predators get paid more to leave than... Well, the compensation, but
1: but the pay to leave is different from the... So for me, that's the culture that was going on there. I I have a good friend who uh, is a chief human resource officer for one of the baseball teams here. And she and I have a conversation because she always talks about HR is the conscience of the organization. And I say, in actuality, HR is more tool of management. And there's a balance between those two. Unless you have being being fired for uh, racism or sexual harassment, is cause. And that's reasons to not pay. But a lot of times it gets to settlement or not not wanting to, to go the legal route. But I just go back to there's a culture there that's been ingrained and maybe the leadership maybe the ceo knows maybe the ceo you know if you're talking about a large company with different locations maybe the ceo doesn't know but you've got to find a way to you got to have a way to say we're serious about this if you bring this to our attention it'll be investigated It'll be looked at yeah. and there will be consequences if it's found to be right. And you've just got to be, and the organization's got to be overt with it.
0: Yeah. So that, I suppose that comes to the way, what you do is around the employee voice piece and then the accountability piece that Stefan was talking about. Yeah.
1: So the, the first thing is, I think you have, to, you have to prepare people and it goes to what Stefan says in a sense. So I remember when COVID hit, maybe it's like second, like the weekend before everything shut down, I was over a friend's house and literally we're looking at our phones and business with our telephone, internet carrier is putting out their COVID statements and we're like, what in the world is all of this? So last week it was kind of, everybody was putting out their statements, you know, kind of, kind of like what you said about pride week, Matt. And the whole time I'm looking at it like, these organizations got racism. Some of them got racism going on and don't even know about. Remember a couple of years ago, Adidas signed Beyonce and they put out this statement about all of the, the celebrities they endorse are so diverse, so on and so forth. And then like a week or so later, the New York Times came out with an article that talked about Adidas's Black employees felt like they weren't that they, they were they weren't getting access to jobs and they were dealing in a a racially intolerant tolerant environment so i think organizations have to be prepared first off to assess and hear data that they aren't ready to hear yeah and, and the next thing is they have to make sure that people feel comfortable articulating their voice they have to create a voice culture they have to create that culture where if I feel like I'm being subjected to racism or better yet, maybe I'm just not feeling included. They can be comfortable articulating that knowing that something that it'll be heard and that there won't be an adverse reaction to it. There won't be retribution. And then, and then organizations have to have an action plan, but then they have to be very overt about what they do which means when you include people's voices, you have to let people know you're. we're including their voices. When you, if, since we're talking about racism, when you have a racist act, you have to be overt about this is what happened. Here, here's the facts, understanding their personnel laws and rules, but here's here's what we stand for and don't stand for as a company. So it, it's really it really is, a lot of it aligns to incorporating voice and understand into your structure. And, and I think people really, you know, people don't articulate their voice for three reasons at the end of the day. One, the leaders don't care. Two, they don't think anything will happen. Well, three, there's gonna be retribution. And if you figure out a way to counter those three and you bring in, you, you make humanity connection empathy part of how you hire develop train and promote your talent then i think you're you're giving yourself a chance to have rich conversations and have people feel that they can be heard
0: so what, what's next you know i already already feel my 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 temperature going down from having this conversation so obviously conversations help and organizations need to have these, I think, uh, be open and honest uh, and give people voices right now. But the fear for me is one week, two months down the line, nothing's changed and we're back, we're back to where we were before. So how do, how do we keep the momentum up?
1: I think one starts with self, in a sense. Um, mm. What do you get out of it? What do I get out of it? So what I get out, what I've gotten out of this compared to everything else is I have more people asking or becoming aware of biases and I I should engage them in conversation. Um, As a researcher, I've realized I've been too indirect in regards to dealing with race. So I have to be more direct about how we incorporate this in. And and I get it because the engagement field, the engagement research, which I say started in 1990, that's, that's when Bill Kahn wrote his piece, it has not included race and gender.
0: Anything else you'd like to add, Stefan? I think for me,
2: um, I feel one of the big, the big issues, I think, facing this problem is people's varying scope about how much of this is pervasive and how much of this is impacted. Um, A lot of people, non-black people, eyes have begun to open about how effective racism has been and how much it pervades all aspects of life, you know. Ensuring that we have concrete, strong actions about how we plan to tackle this, what we want to see change and improve in the next five years. And I think also, you know, as a responsibility for people that experience racism, we have to be more outspoken about it. I feel I feel like during my experience, we deal with these issues of racism, whether in a macro scale or in a micro scale, and we normalize it because to think about it, to deal with it, you where know, is a lot of emotional burden. We come into the world assuming that everybody will respect you and treat you based on your based on the person you are, your humanity and your character. I think we also have to set the tone of this is a level of racism at this level you know we still experience it here we still need to be very spoken about how this goes so that we don't allow people to brush it off and think that it's improved because i've got a lot of people who tell me you know well racism's definitely improved for the first you know five ten years and I'm like well Maybe in just aspects, maybe it's less overt, but you know we have all these systematic, structural things which still affect people of colour and, and black people to this day. It's just being vocal and realise that this is not a normal thing, and this thing shouldn't be normalised. And it might take a bit of effort, from, a bit of effort from our stand. You know, again, we want to sort of get on with life and live our lives. We don't have to. We don't want to have to always bear the brunt and the emotional sort of burden of racism. But I feel like, if not for ourselves, I think for non-people of colour in the wider community, we need to call things out and ensure that we leave places better.
0: Th- th- thank you so much. I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want my my me to be the last word. So, um, but what you just said there um, you know, people talk, they're using the word systemic a lot, the systemic race, racism around the world. And, you know, some people are saying, no, no, that's not the case. Um, and they might point to things not, you know, where where is it in the system? But actually, it might be the things that are left out to protect yeah. people from racism. So it's actually what's not in the system that we need to plug into it. And that might be the action that we can do for practical stuff, but... You know, I'm coming from a place of real lack of understanding. So, um, but that, that feels like, you know, that might be what the prat- practical pieces that we might be able to start working on. What we plug into the system, the new system.
2: <sighs> Back to what I mentioned at the beginning. I think accountability is very important. Racism is such a, it's an interesting thing. We talked about how, you know, you can't tell someone's gonna be racist or just an or or whatever, but I feel like we have to live in, in a society where even if we do have people that are racist they can't influence or they can't impact things to an effect where it damages the lives right of other people I feel like having the checks and balances you know is one of, sort of the most important things to ensure sure that we don't deal with another George Floyd another Breonna Taylor another Ahmaud Albury and then more systemically, we can work with cultures and organizations to ensure that implicit bias and everything else is moved out and fleshed out of people.
1: Racism is not a part of everyday interaction. I think race is. That's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just the thing. I think it, it, it's taken the time to have that human connection, that ability to Be empathetic, to be that emotionally intelligent leader where you can, where your leaders and your leadership embody that. And then you can have those conversations Um, and you can have you can have those uncomfortable conversations. Uh, And I agree with what Stefan said. Also, there has to be accountability on that back end. And maybe that means the accountability measures may need to change somewhat. Um, yeah, there, there's conversation behind that. Um, if you're an HR quote unquote expert the past three months is where you make your money, you know, mm-hmm. it's real good to be, it's real easy to be an expert <laughs> when, when everything's good, companies are making money, employments at unemployment's at an all time low. Now, now you gotta make your money. Now it's not about just stats. It's about employees, their experience. I think the interesting thing for me is, and I, I always come with data. I recommend everyone look at The 13th by Ava DuVernay. It's on Netflix and it talks about, and it's it's, it's based on America, but it talks about the role of the prison system and social justice from the minute slavery ended, where, where, where Black people went from being assets to liabilities. And, and the country had lost free labor all of a sudden. And they found a way to criminalize people to make them become free labor again. That impacts a lot. Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers is a really good book because it's focused on, on Sandra Bland. I mean there's there's tons of stuff from the from the critical race and an intersectional standpoint, but I'd like to start off with those. And then I think you have to you have to make a, a point to engage with people you just normally don't engage with. This backdrop provides that excellent opportunity.
0: Well, thank you so much for for sharing your views, guys. Uh, and allowing me to be part of the part of the conversation um i think I've, I've got a lot of actions that have come out of this call personally and within the organization that i think i think you and i and we will be working on together and maybe we should maybe we should come back and have this conversation again in six months or a year and see where we're at uh yeah. see and and you know do what we need needs to be done at that point in time but you know thanks russell for making this happen and uh thank you
1: Stefan. Yeah, thank Matt, you. I appreciate. Uh, Stephen, I appreciate you jumping on, sharing your thoughts. Matt, I appreciate you uh, allowing to to be uncomfortable and have this conversation.
0: <laughs> it's funny that it feels uncomfortable because it just everything is you know. I, I'm with I'm with with yeah yeah. It just it's just I think it's probably because I can't believe we have to have this conversation. I suppose that's that's the thing ultimately. But there we go. Thanks. Thanks guys. And yeah, just bring on the, bring on the football season.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully.